Hello. So good to be back. Very excited to be here tonight. Uh, this is actually my first uh, time back to Chico since uh, moving to Santa Cruz. So it was the longest I grew up in Chico. And so this is the longest stint I've ever been away from Chico in my life, which is kind of weird. It's, it's been a trip. So still coming back. Everything's familiar. I know where most things are. Still haven't completely forgotten the town. So that's nice. Um, I'm going to be talking to you guys tonight about eternal perspectives. And this is something, this is a topic that's really uh, near and dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about it. I even like requested to David that this could be what I speak to you about. So I'm really excited about this. Um, first, before I start, I just want to open up with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, I uh, thank you so much for bringing us all here uh, tonight to challenge. I ask that you'd please uh, use me tonight to speak accurately and clearly about your word and that all of us would leave here tonight with a more accurate and more eternal perspective on life that would affect the, the way that we live and the decisions that we make. I praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to jump right into it because I might have overprepared a little bit. So I'm going to I'm just going to start going here. So eternal perspectives. First, I want to clarify what I'm even talking about, because this might be like the first time you've ever heard uh, this phrasing or this idea. Uh, so the word eternal, uh, it means lasting or existing forever without end or beginning, valid for all time. And then the word perspective means a particular attitude or way of regarding something, a point of view. And then there's actually a third uh, kind of a uh, definition of it that I'm going to get to at the end of my talk. So I'm going to leave you all hanging in suspense. I'm sure you're going to be like on the edge of your seat the whole time just waiting for me to reveal that third thing. That's just, I know there's like only two people that's going to bug, but it's going to bug you for the next like 20 minutes. So you're welcome for that. Uh, so having an eternal perspective is seeing your life, based off, based off of those ideas, we can see clearly the idea of having an eternal perspective means seeing your life and the world around you in the context of all time. So why is this a big deal? I think it's a really big deal. But I, I feel like we should talk about why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because having an eternal perspective means having an accurate perspective. All right, I'd even, I would write that down on your handout. Eternal perspective equals accurate perspective. If having an eternal perspective means having an accurate perspective, and we usually operate without having an eternal perspective, that means our automatic way of viewing life is inaccurate. See what I'm saying there? If having eternal perspective has, is having an accurate perspective, and we usually walk through our day without an eternal perspective on our life, that means we are walking through our days with an inaccurate perspective by default. That's why I think it's a big deal. When someone has an inaccurate perspective, they often make wrong decisions thinking they're the right ones. Because they're not seeing the situation for what it is. Most of our perspective is shaped by our upbringing, our education, our peers, the media, uh, how good your breakfast was this morning, right? Like I had banana pancakes with Nutella on them this morning for, for breakfast, and it was fantastic. My outlook on the day was great, okay? It really affects the way we, we, we make decisions and our perspective throughout the day. It's all of these influences are affecting us. So I have a quick story that illustrates, illustrates this idea of how having an inaccurate perspective affects the way we make decisions. So my wife and I, uh, one summer, 
a couple years ago, we led a team of students to serve a ministry in Europe for the summer. And uh, while we were there, um, we got to visit some fun places. And so we were, we were on, on the train to, uh, I think it was to Paris. I always, I always forget the city, but I think we were on the way to, no, it wasn't Paris. Anyways, that's, that's irrelevant. Uh, we were on the train somewhere, and we had read all these books and watched these vlogs and things, um, and every single one told us the same thing. They said, don't be a stupid American. You're going to get pickpocketed. Like over, actually, like every single thing we read or watched, everything said the same thing. It's like, don't be a stupid American. You're going to get pickpocketed. You stick out like a sore thumb here, okay? You're like cargo short wearing, like, you know, button-up shirt with the camera around your neck and the awkward hat. Like, you stick out like a sore thumb, right? You're like, that dude doesn't belong here, okay? They can pick you out. So I, I took their advice more as like dressing instructions and just stuck out like a sore thumb. I even had like a, a giant backpack with all of my possessions on it on my back that I was like teetering constantly while I was walking around. I don't know if you've ever worn a big heavy backpack, but I was constantly like losing my balance. So I was an easy target and I got pickpocketed, okay? That wasn't like a... a sudden like change and ending there. It was, it was a predictable ending to the story. Y'all should have been able to predict that. All right. So I got pickpocketed. I was getting off the train and this dude comes up to me and starts trying to talk to me in kind of broken English and ask me a question. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't really know what you're saying. And then this other dude was like getting annoyed that I was taking so long. Can kind of push my way past me, uh, push his way past me. And then I hopped off the train and I got off the train and I thought it was a weird situation. So I checked my pockets instinctively and my wallet was gone. And I was like, yo, I got duped, like hard. I don't even understand how he did it, but he did it. And so uh, I looked like an easy mark, but those two dudes didn't know something very important about me. I had just gotten off of a four-hour train ride where I binge-watched the show 24 the whole time. Okay, some of you have watched that show. It's about this, like, like bad dude, like, like, crime-fighting, terrorist-punching, Jack Bauer, man-bag-toting, gun-wielding. Like, he's a boss, and he, like, says a bunch of really intimidating, scary things and, like, kind of, like, tortures people a little bit. It's, he's, he's, he's on the edge, okay? But he's intense. That's the point. He's intense. So I'm all, like, this is how I viewed myself in that moment, all right? So I drop my bag, and I just, like, boom, take off in a sprint as soon as I figured it out and ran these two dudes down and got in their face and was screaming at them. And I was like, give me back my money, give me back my money. And you guys see me, I'm not, it's not a very intimidating stature I have coming at them. I kind of have a high voice. It probably sounded like, give me back my money, give me back my money. You know, it wasn't great, okay? <laughs> they gave me back my money, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, what a boss, right? I was, I was feeling, all, feeling all cool. But there are, there are more details to this story that are important for you to understand um, because they reveal how stupid of a decision. Some of you thought it was stupid right away, I could tell. Like, I took off running. Some of you are like, idiot. Uh, you're right. So a couple of details here. First off, I left my beautiful wife by herself with all of our bags. I just like ditched her with all of our stuff with no one around. 
We were at the very end of an outdoor train station with nobody near us. I ran them down in the opposite direction of anybody else. So by the time I caught up with them, we're like hundreds of yards away from the closest person. I get in the face of two criminals and yell at them in a foreign country. Okay? I am so lucky I didn't get like stabbed. Let alone, like, in fact, I, I got my money back. is insane, okay? God was very gracious to me. The point is that it was still stupid. It's a stupid decision to make. My perspective was wrong. That was an inaccurate perspective of myself. I, I viewed myself like this. That's probably more accurately what I looked like, all right? See, when our perspective is off, it makes a difference in the decisions we make, and that has big consequences in life. Don't pay attention to the, to the results of my story. Just pay attention to the stupidity, okay? It's a terrible decision. So uh, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, I am Exhibit A. We all can and often do have inaccurate perspectives in life. Uh, and it matters. It really matters. But do you know what's absolutely amazing? Is that we have a God that sees life exactly accurately. He sees life exactly as it is. He sees reality for what it is. Uh, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This makes sense, right? Like God is so far beyond us and so far above us, he sees things perfectly clearly. Not only does he uh, see everything clearly, he knows exactly how we ought to live our lives, right? He literally designed life. He knows exactly how we should live our lives. And the most amazing thing is he wants us to know how we ought to live our lives. So we have a God who sees things perfectly clearly, exactly accurately. He knows the exact way we should be living our life, the right decisions that we're making, right? The attitude we should be having. And he wants us to know that too. Like that's kind of mind blowing that he cares that much, but he does. It's crazy. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Look at where the responsibility lies for knowing what God wants us to do. It's in us. It says, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. God wants this for you. He wants you to understand how to best live life. He wants you to live life with an eternal perspective. So I'm going to cover three areas of life that will change to be more in line with what God wants you to be doing as we develop a more accurate and more eternal perspective in these areas. And all three of these areas are ones that I need to grow in, but also they're areas of my life where I've received a lot of rich and real blessings, like very tangible blessings uh, as I've adopted a more eternal perspective in these areas. So the first one, having an eternal perspective will change your perspectives. I never claimed to be clever, all right? Having an eternal perspective will change your perspectives. I'm not clever, but it's true. One really specific area that we need to be doing this is in submitting our thought life. 
So that's that next fill in the blank. Submit your thought life. What we look at, think about, listen to, watch, dwell on, research, even just casually spend time pondering. These things affect our perspectives. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does that does what pleases God will live forever. So you can see it right there, right? It's literally making these comparisons between dwelling on the temporary versus having perspective on the eternal. It's making these correlations in this verse. The three things that really stand out to me from this verse is how it says, uh, the, the, three, the three things it says that we're going to have trouble, right? It's, it's warning us against these, these three areas. We're going to have trouble getting tripped up in these areas. And the areas are a craving for physical pleasure, sex, a craving for everything we see, stuff, and pride in our achievements and accomplishment, achievements and possessions, that's success. So sex, stuff, and success are just like trying to get you to focus on them. Those three things are drawing your attention. They're drawing your focus and they're manipulating your perspective on life. When we focus on these things, we do not focus on and having an eternal perspective, unless we're talking about having that shift in your perspective on success like David talked about last week, if you heard last week, then, then you're still, still in line with an eternal perspective, but I'm talking about like worldly success here. So we need to be very careful with these three things in life because they will distract you from investing in what really matters. Psalm 73, 25 tells us God should be the central focus of our lives based on having an eternal perspective. It says, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Man, I love this verse. I'm going to say it again. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Do you hear the comparison here? The psalmist literally says that there's nothing on earth that he desires besides God, because he has a zoomed out perspective on the life he's living right now on earth. On the things of this world, he, he sees them in light of eternity and the God who rules that eternity. So the second area that, that this is going to make a huge change, having an eternal perspective is going to have a huge change in, is in your problems. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. Oh, this is a fantastic verse. This is a verse I've memorized a long time ago, specifically uh, in a desire to try to adopt a more eternal perspective on my problems. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Having an eternal perspective doesn't change the existence of problems in your life. You will have problems still. It will change the way that you see them so much that there will be a tangible shift in your response to those problems 
to where you effectively will have different problems in life. It will make them so much less of an issue in your life because you'll handle them in a more healthy and more God-honoring way. The Apostle Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, casually refers to light and momentary troubles in this verse. If you don't know the Apostle Paul, he was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake, beaten on multiple occasions. Uh, He was wrongfully imprisoned for a long time, and he was stoned nearly to death. If you don't know what that means, it means a crowd of people all picked up rocks and beat them with him, throwing them at them until they thought he was bloody and bludgeoned to death. They literally only stopped because they thought he was dead, and then they walked away. And he says, in this life, you're going to face light and momentary troubles. Dude, those do not sound light and momentary to me. But you can see where his perspective was, right? He viewed these problems in light of eternity. So I do not claim to have the kind of light and momentary troubles that the Apostle Paul had. Um, But I do face problems in life. So one big problem that's an ongoing problem in my life that I face is that I have Tourette syndrome. So some people are uh, some surprised when I tell them that I have Tourette's because I don't walk around like cussing all the time and shouting out the F-bomb and, and things like that. If you've seen like different shows have, um, you know, uh, made Tourette's a bit of a comic. But that's a very small subset of people who have Tourette's have that problem. It is a real problem, but not everyone who has Tourette's has it. Anyways, I have Tourette's. It's a problem. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a bit of a hindrance in life. Um, it comes in waves, and what's really bad, I usually don't even really go out in public um, because it's pretty hard to talk and relate with people um, when, it's at, when it's at its worst. It's kind of hard to try to describe it to people. It's, it's a difficult uh, problem because it's a neurological problem, so it's based in my brain. So those things that mess with your brain are kind of hard to describe to people, but um, the best way I've found to describe it usually is it, it, the ticking, the physical jerks or, or random noises that I might make with my mouth, those are essentially the result of what's happening in my brain. Those aren't the real problem. Those are just what end up happening because of the problem. The problem is, um, what it feels like is, it feels like there's a thunderstorm in my brain that builds up pressure, and then every once in a while, it shoots out a lightning bolt down my spine, which like goes out my limbs, and that results in me having some sort of physical tick or, or a verbal tick. It's very uncomfortable. Like I said, when it's happening like every like 10, 15 seconds, it's very hard to focus or think straight or talk to people. It's, it's pretty frustrating. Um, and like I said, it can be really inhibiting. Um, when my brain is bothering me really bad like this, uh, I regularly have to try to explain. I have a four-year-old son named Colin. I have to try to explain to him, um, but I can't like play with him right now. You know, that's a, that's a hard conversation to have with your son. Sorry, I can't play with him right now. I just said, like, my brain is bothering me, and I've tried to explain it to him, and he kind of knows to some extent that that just means, like, I can't really do something with him right now. And, and even, like, it makes it so I can't even, like, read a book to him. You know, he's, like, asked me to read a book. I mean, it sucks. I even tell your kid, like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't read a book to you right now. Like, my brain is bothering me. It's really, it's really hard to do. And um, more than that, I mean, it makes me pretty... Um, I don't know. I, f- I feel a bit like an invalid sometimes when it's bothering me really badly, which, which it messes with your emotions, feeling like you're incapable of, of taking care of yourself very well, um, let alone 
the people that I have a responsibility to be taken care of. And so I, I struggle with a lot of feelings of um, inadequacy and like I'm, I'm a drain on the people around me when I'm going through a bad spell, and especially on my wife because she ends up being the one who has to pick up a lot of the slack um, when I'm going through a bad spell. It can last like two or three weeks sometimes where every day it's bothering me really bad. And it sucks. Like I just, there's just no way around it. Like I could try to tell you that um, because I have faith in God, like it doesn't mess with me, but it does. I get really frustrated about it. I get sad. I get mad. I, I go through the range of emotions depending on, um, you know, what I'm struggling with at the time, but I have a hard time with it. And it's something that's not going to go away um, as far as I know. But what I've learned to do in the hard times is to pray and rely on God in a very tangible way, not in a fanciful way. Like, um, I grew up trying to pray and I would pray these prayers that are just kind of this, like a cute idea. Prayer was a cute idea to me. Um, but I can tell you confidently in these times when I'm really struggling, um, prayer doesn't feel like a cute thing at those times. Uh, it feels like I'm like physically leaning against God saying, please hold me up like because I'm not holding myself up right now. Um, and so that's something I've learned to do is to pray to God in this very real and raw way and talk to him about what I'm having a hard time with. And, and the other thing that, I've, that I do is I really, in a tangible way, I stake my hope in those moments on the power of Christ in me. So I, I, I'd stake my hope on the power of Christ in me in those hard times. And I didn't come up with this idea. Um, I got it from this verse. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. This is, again, the Apostle Paul same guy who he wrote this also. Um, and he's talking about this idea, this thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what that was, but it was something that bothered him on an ongoing basis and, and was apparently some sort of hindrance to his life. And he said this about it. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Man, I relate with that. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's been like an anchor verse in my life for the last few years when I'm having a hard time because I just have to pray to God and try to adopt this kind of a perspective that the apostle Paul had, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I, I'm gonna pray that God would use this as an opportunity for Christ's power to rest on me and, and really for him to show his power through me to other people, through my dependence on him despite the difficulty. And um, yeah, hopefully hopefully somebody else can find encouragement in that verse in this room because like that, I feel like there's points in, in the last few years where this verse has kept me sane, to be honest with you, um, during some of my low times. Um, yeah, so so it will, it'll having eternal perspective will change the way that you deal with the problems in your life uh, in a very life-impacting way. And the last, the last area I'm going to be talking about is having an eternal perspective will change your priorities. So for those two people, it was bothering. Here comes the third uh, definition for, for, for a perspective. It is a true understanding of the relative importance of things. When we have an eternal perspective, we see what is truly important in life. It's not whether you get an A on that paper or final, or whether that guy or girl says yes to going out with you, or whether you get your dream job after you graduate. It's not whether you get that internship this summer, 
or you get that gift for Christmas that you really, 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 really want. I really want an e-bike. It's kind of a big gift, but I still really want it, right? But that, that's, not, that's not what's really important in life. You know how I know that is because none of those things will be important 10,000 years from now. Not one of those things will be really important 10,000 years from now. Not one will be important 100,000 years from now, for sure. They'll have way cooler bikes than e-bikes, all right? Like, they will not matter 100,000 years from now. Whether or not your friends were impressed with you, or you felt successful, or felt like you had financial security, none of that will mean diddly squat. It just won't. So that's how I can tell you confidently. Even some of those good things, like being good in school or having good friends, like having friends who like you and things like that, or having a, a husband or wife who really loves you, like those are all good things, but those things will not matter 10,000 years from now. So those are not the most important things in life. How can we know what really matters in life then? Well, Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, spoiler alert, Look in the Bible if you want to know what's really important, all right? All right, if the Bible, God's word is eternal, look there for what it says is important in life. So let's take a look. Matthew 22, 36 through 39 says, this is Jesus, um, well, part of it's Jesus speaking. Um, this question is posed to him. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Do you hear it in that question? Talk about relative importance in life. It's really what the question is about. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's two blanks there, love God more and love others. I left love God more open-ended purposefully because it is open-ended. It literally applies to every single area of your life, every relationship you have, every interest you have. Like you need to constantly be pursuing to love God more than you do right now, because other things are vying for that role of importance at the same time. So if you are not constantly pursuing loving God more than you do right now, something else is gonna leapfrog him in your uh, scale of what's important to you in life. And so how can we really best pursue these two things? How can we best pursue loving God more and loving others? John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Have you ever felt like so appreciative to Jesus or, you know, you're listening to a worship song and you're just like, oh, I feel so moved. Like, and you want to love Jesus back? Go read the Bible and do what it says because he says that's the lack of love that you can express back to him. Don't just learn God's word, live God's word. Another thing the Bible says that we should value in life comes from Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. It's making a direct comparison in value, right? Relative importance between financial success and spiritual growth. So invest in spiritual growth. Great news. You're already doing that, right? You chose to be here at Challenge tonight. You literally are already living this one out. So like bonus points to you for that, right? Yeah, you already are making a decision. You made a decision tonight to come to Challenge instead of doing something else. There's plenty of other things you could have done. 
you chose to be here instead. That was an that was a choice of relative importance, and it was a choice to uh, pursue God more and to pursue growing spiritually. So that's awesome. Like, way to go. One thing I'd really encourage you to do is think about and consider the value that is added to your life by these kinds of decisions that you make because it will help you in making future decisions. If you can look back and think clearly, wow, like, yeah, I think how much I've grown from going like to church. I think about how much I've grown and how much I've, I'm, how much more closer to God I am, uh, how much more encouraged I am by my friends that I'm hanging out with because of going to challenge and going to life group. Like think about those things because it'll help you make better, more eternally uh, based decisions in the future. I got one more verse for you tonight as I wrap up. It's 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. It says, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Again, a verse that spells out uh, issue or clarification in relative importance, right? It's comparing physical health, like this idea of physical training has, does have some value. Like it, it's a, not a bad thing. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is not an excuse to not work out, all right? Just to, just letting you know. Some of you are like, oh, yes. Like next time my buddy invites me to the gym, I'm gonna quote this verse to him. Like, no, don't do that. That's not what I'm saying here, all right? Um, no, this has absolutely been my experience though, that uh, as I've pursued God and pursued having more eternal perspective on life and pursuing godliness, like this verse says, uh, my life has gained value in tangible ways that encourages me to keep making that a priority in my life. So I'd really encourage you to just do it and you'll see the changes in your life and it will spur you on and your trust of God and his priorities will grow. It'll help you keep making those decisions in the future. And if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, if you're here tonight and you don't actually haven't put your faith in Christ, you haven't accepted the forgiveness for your sins that he offers, man, if you're anything like me before I put my faith in Christ, me talking about eternity is freaking you out. This idea freaked me out before I had faith in Jesus because I didn't know where I was going to go for eternity. That I was terrified of death. I didn't like going on roller coasters because I was like, dude, am I, it's going to go off the track and then I don't know. I don't know what's how it's going to happen. Real value in life I've had added since coming to Christ, I enjoy roller coasters way more. <laughs> Stupid, but it's true. It's a real life, real life experience of mine, right? I love roller coasters now. Um, I was missing out on that before. Um, but really, like, uh, I trust Jesus and the forgiveness he offers, and I have security in where I'm going to be spending eternity. First John 5, 13, it says that God's intention for us is to know that we have eternal life when we believe in his son, Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you know that you have eternal life. It makes a tangible difference and the way you live your life and, and your enjoyment of roller coasters and a lot of other areas of life. And um, then you can actually experience, you can't really experience this, this eternal perspective idea I've been talking about all night if you don't know where you're spending eternity. It's a really serious thing. I, I really had a hard time with this before, before I became a Christian. So I'd encourage you to, to actually, don't try to like ignore this idea. Actually think about it. Because if it freaks you out, like pursue that, like figure out like, should you actually be trusting Jesus with your life? Because what the Bible says is that God is perfect. Heaven is perfect. 
And if I've ever sinned, I'm not perfect. I can tell you confidently, I'm not, I'm not perfect. If God's perfect, heaven's perfect, I'm not perfect. I'm not going there because I'm going to mess it up on my own, right? If I'm imperfect, I go to heaven, heaven's no longer perfect, okay? But that's not the case for me anymore because Jesus died to pay the penalty for my imperfections. And now God lets me, this is his idea. It sounds crazy, but it's his idea. He lets me claim Jesus's righteousness, his right living. That's, that's all it really means. I get to claim Jesus's perfect life to be able to get into heaven now, which is nuts. Like that's crazy that, that God lets us do that, but he does. It's his perfect plan and it's amazing. And I really encourage you, uh, if you haven't done that yet, please uh, come talk to me after tonight or, or, or talk to one of the leaders here at Challenge about it because man, it makes a world of difference. It makes a literal eternal difference in your life. And then you can have the opportunity to find joy and comfort in these areas that I'm talking about tonight. In, in, in your problems and your priorities and your perspectives. And if you are a Christian, I'd really encourage you to pursue these three areas in a tangible way. So what I'm, gonna, what I'm gonna leave you with here is this question that I want you to ponder. It's, am I leveraging my short time on earth for the greatest eternal impact? This is a question I want you to really think about and I would love for you to write something down on your card after I'm done here tonight because I found when I write something out, uh, I take it a bit more seriously and I think about it on, on another level. So if anything's been prompted in you tonight, a uh, life change you need to make, a, a habit you need to develop or get rid of, uh, anything at all in any of these areas, I'd really encourage you to write it down on that communication card in a couple minutes um, because like I said, that in my life, it's been a, something that's helped me. When I write things out, I'm more likely to actually act on them. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, I ask that you'd please help us all to just uh, see life, like I said at the beginning, see life more accurately, God, um, that we experience the joy that you want us to experience, God. I know you want us to experience joy in life. You want us to love you and to be loved, more importantly, not that we're loving you, but that's just in response to experiencing your love and being so shook to our core by how much you care for us and love us and take care of us uh, that it just like pours back out of us and we want to love you back and we want to pursue you more, God. Not that we think it's gonna earn our way to you or it's gonna be like the cool Christian thing to do is going to church or reading our Bible or just because someone's telling us it's a good idea, but we actually want to do that because we want to know you more. We want to love you more by, by acting on your word, God. And I pray that you please help us to just have a real devotion to you in response to that, that, that affects the way we live and the decisions we make, God, and our priorities and our perspectives and our problems. I praise things in Christ's name. Amen.